The presidential campaign arrives in Indiana. Bernie Sanders opens an Indianapolis headquarters. Hillary Clinton names an Indiana state director. Todd Young wins endorsements from the business community. INDOT picks an I-69 route. And Marion County gets new voting machines. That plus Zika research at Purdue and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending April 1, 2016. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, presidential politics arrived in Indiana as the Bernie Sanders campaign opened a state headquarters in Broad Ripple. The Democratic challenger is planning a big presence in this state during the buildup to the May 3rd primary with regional offices opening this weekend. Indiana is the only state with a primary on May 3rd. Sanders State Director Pete D'Alessandro. I think a lot of people are going to be watching and it's going to, it could be the, the, the uh, catapult from Indiana to, to the California and, and later primaries. So it's, it's going to be very important. Will Bernie Sanders be competitive here? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican John Hammond, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Shella. Ann Delaney, Sanders is not trying to compete in every state. Why challenge in Indiana? Well, I, you know, I think it, Hillary uh, won uh, Indiana in 2008 and closely. And I think he figures that uh, with the energy that he's got from the campaign, it'll be competitive. And I think he's right. And it's a proportional representation, like many of the Democratic uh, primary states are. And so there's an incentive for him to do it, particularly since we're the only one that day. So I think it makes sense, and I expect him to be competitive. So, um Offices in Indianapolis, Bloomington, Evansville, Lafayette, Fort Wayne, and South Bend. That's a significant presence. It is, and logical because uh, many of those places are university towns, um, and that would be a logical place also for the Clinton campaign to be, too. But certainly, uh, Bernie Sanders has struck a chord with the younger voter, that's for sure. So uh, those, those cities in Indiana make a lot of sense to me. We haven't seen uh, presidential politics here since 2008. Um, I, I went back and did a little research. Barack Obama made his first Indiana appearance on March 15th. So we're not, and, and Hillary Clinton was here the next week. We're not going to see the sort of effort here that we saw in 2008. Well, it depends on how you define effort. I think you might see uh, similar efforts going into the establishment of, of grassroots network, uh, volunteers, phone banks, that type of thing. What I don't think, if you're getting at, uh, what I don't think would be a repeat necessarily of 2008 would be the presence of the candidates themselves. And part of that is not a lack of any interest in Indiana as much as it, as it is just a change in the overall primary calendar. There are effectively more 
states, to put it, uh, you know, <clears throat> in crass terms, there's a lot more stuff going on between before right. Indiana than there was, uh, for instance, back in right. 2008, where there was a longer uh, window for the candidates themselves to crisscross the state. So the effort, yes, but will the candidates themselves be here? Probably not to that extent. The nine states uh, have primaries or caucuses between now and the Indiana primary. So, yeah, it, the calendar dictates pretty much everything. Well, yes, and proximity does, too. Um, and so I think John makes a very good point. However, I do think that you will see um, some big rallies toward the end. That last weekend before the, the actual primary, the calendar has cleared by that point, uh, and there will be that last push. So there will be, I think, plenty of um, candidate appearances, but they'll all come at the end. It won't be spread out That's like it was last time. I mean, the time. window is uh, April 27th to... Of course, election yeah. day. Yeah, right. And so at that point, you will, I think, see I'd be some. surprised if we didn't see both candidates here before yeah, this I is agree. over at least uh, at least once, maybe more than that. And, you know, Indiana has a lot of delegates, and it's right. important. And that, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that, that Hillary Clinton is going to win the nomination, but it, it isn't completely decided yet, and so this is in play. All right. To that side of the Democratic battle, the Hillary Clinton campaign named a state director for Indiana this week. Peter Hanscom is a former aide to Senator Joe Donnelly. The Clinton campaign plans to open in Indianapolis headquarters soon. Regional offices are also in the works. It's news that came out about a week after Bernie Sanders opened his Broad Ripple headquarters. Hanscom believes the nomination will still be up for grabs in five weeks. Your voters should be excited that uh, what happens here in the primary on May 3rd is going to matter uh, as to who becomes the nominee for the Democratic Party. We are building a uh, truly uh, statewide campaign that is going to be, uh, you know, to a full scale of what you would expect for uh, a statewide primary. John Hammond, is Hanscom a good choice? You know, Peter Hanscom uh, is an excellent choice for that campaign, and I say this as a Republican, but I had a chance to observe him during the legislative process when he was the executive director for the uh, field director, I should say, for the Indiana Competes uh, effort, which was all about the uh, civil rights, LGBT, of, uh, right, consortium yeah, of business interests. businesses, right? Yeah. So he, had, he actually had to deal with both sides of the aisle and did so in a very professional way. But he, the fundamentals of, of a campaign and what it takes to identify voters and get them out, uh, he is one of the best in our state. So you've got the Sanders campaign, who brought in uh, what was their Iowa team that had gone on to Oklahoma and Nebraska, uh, and then Hillary is putting together... An Indiana team. Yeah, and I think it gives it, it gives her an advantage because Peter Hanscom knows the the players in Indiana already, and they know him. The business community certainly knows him, and he certainly knows what he's doing. So I, I think uh, we're not going to have to put up a map for him to show him where South Bend and Lafayette and Fort Wayne are. <laughs> right. He already knows that. That gives him a leg up. There's it won't, no question won't be about an it. Easy task. I mean, this is this is this is really tough competition. I mean, this this Clinton Sanders race, and I think it's. They found a good person to be able to pursue that. I Almost think. as tough as yeah. Trump Cruz. Well, well, we, uh, yeah, well, or uh, Kasich or others. Yeah. So, well, let's uh, talk about the Republican side because um, I, there should be as much at stake in Indiana for Republicans, right. yet uh, they haven't made an appearance here yet. No, but I think that at the end, if things continue to trend as they have, I've seen some analysis in this last week that where Indiana could be very important 
uh, in the Republican side of the of the aisle because um, there's a growing sentiment that that they want to have a convention that's open. So if it, if it's close and Trump could uh, do well in Indiana, maybe it puts him over the top. Maybe Indiana doesn't go for him, and he's further away from you know having the delegates necessary. So. While we haven't seen the organization or the people here yet, I think ultimately this could be very important for the Republican side. I'm not sure how much organization he's put in other states either. He's relied on the free media because everything Mm -hmm. he says, as provocative as it is, gets him coverage everywhere he goes for free. And he's been successful with it, however you want to define success. Well, he's he's certainly known for it. I'm not sure saying one thing one half hour and another thing another half hour is the definition (laughs) of success. completely. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz has a, a local attorney doing some organizing uh, for him. Uh, but Trump doesn't have anybody on the ground in Indiana, does he? Well, not yet, although I, I'd say that uh, former state chairman, I think is interested, Republican state chairman, Rex Early, Rex is, Early who's been on this show before, uh, has an interest and certainly has indicated his support for Trump. So I think you're going to find him involved at some point, too. Yeah. What will be... John, what will, Shwanis, what will be uh, the hotter race in Indiana, the Republicans or the Democrats? You know, I really, uh, this is a cop-out. I think they're both going to be very interesting uh, races. We'll know more in the next uh, week or so. Again, a cliche, but Wisconsin, you know, is, we'll have a better sense of whether Trump has peaked and, in fact, has started a decline, as some have suggested, or if he is able to overcome some of the controversies stemming from his comments this week, and that was just a blip. Once, ask me again next yeah. week, and I'll give you a more authoritative <laughs> you answer. You'll give us a more authoritative yeah, thing yeah. after the yeah, primary. Yeah. After the primary. We'll, also, we'll also ask you after New York. You've got the, the other thing you have going on here is the contested Republican primary for the Senate. Right. And when, when you factor in the Trump factor for that, that could be a godsend for uh, Stutzman's candidacy. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Well, let's talk about the U.S. Senate primary. The Indiana Chamber of Commerce and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce endorsed GOP Senate candidate Todd Young in an announcement made this week. It's an endorsement that GOP candidate Marlon Stutzman sought. And one of the things that comes with it is an unspecified television budget. This campaign ad in support of Todd Young was purchased by the U.S. Chamber, and a spokesman, Rob Engstrom, says the group intends to spend enough money to swing the race in Young's favor, putting him in a position to challenge Democrat Baron Hill in the fall. He has the ability to win a political election. He's demonstrated that. But he also has the courage to govern and get things done, and he's demonstrated that. I've beaten Baron Hill before. I can beat Baron Hill again. Baron Hill is out of step with not just Hoosier employers, uh, but also the needs of Hoosiers. Todd Young there, John Ketzenberger, how important are the business endorsements in this race? Well, the endorsements are nice, the money's nicer, and that's exactly what uh, Todd Young picks up here, the resources that uh, are very deep and very directed. And I think what you see at play here is that there's some concern about the Senate overall. Uh, you know, the, 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 the strategy on the Supreme Court, I think, is, current, is bothersome and, and worrisome for some people. And there may be some thought that, that, that the Senate majority for the Republicans is at, at a bit of a risk. So they look at Indiana and they see the race here and they think, well, this is something that we might be able to do to maintain so that we don't have to worry about possibly losing it. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of involvement. Well, in fact, Todd Young is telling people now that he thinks that the Indiana race could be the one that determines party control in the U.S. Senate. Is he overselling it? 
Yes. Well, let's put it this way, though, Jim. If, if you were the candidate and you're fundraising uh, outside the state, that's probably what I would say, too. This is, this is, this is for all the marbles, my race right here. Um, who's to say, you know, when it comes down to the end, it could be any number. I mean, how do you identify which, which right. state and which seat right. flipped it? Uh, suffice it to say, though, that it's... People are, are, for the reasons that were articulated, are nervous about this uh, because of the down yeah. ticket effect is, by a Trump candidacy no. or, you know, even a Cruz candidacy. Yeah. With, with the money that's attached here, is this the most important endorsement in this primary? Well, you know, let's think about this. Um, you're going to have um, another endorsement that actually has already taken place for Marlon Stutzman, right, the Club for Growth. The question is so often in these situations when the, the U.S. Chamber comes in with an endorsement and money, Sometimes the club for growth will follow with money. They made an endorsement. Uh, I'm not there's sure there's some question there about yet, how much money the club for growth is going to put behind its endorsement. Yeah, don't know for sure. But I, I do think that this is, a, you know, this is an open seat. It is very important to the total mix uh, at the national level for the Republican Party control of the U.S. Senate. So I think everyone's taking it very seriously, and I think a lot of folks in D.C. have targeted this race as a very, very what, important What's interesting one. about this commercial is it doesn't even say that he's running for the Senate, and it, I, it misstates what I understood his position to be. Now he's going to fix Obamacare. He's going to fix the bad parts of Obamacare. All before he was going to repeal it, yeah. as I understood it, the same as yeah. Mike Pence. But and he is going to single-handedly wipe out ISIS. Boy, I tell you, we just put him back in a Marine uniform and send him over there, and the well, problem I, will I'm, be over. I'm glad you mentioned but, his Marine background, but, because but he's a very sharp, smart... But the problem they have here smart. is they're obviously scared of Mar Marlon Stutzman. Right. They're obviously nervous about him, and this plays into his message, because the establishment is coming forth and yeah. supporting Young. But not all of it. Mickey Maurer, in his, in his op-ed piece in the Indianapolis uh, uh, Business, Business Journal, Journal, basically said, vote for Baron Hill, not for Todd Young. Well, but, but, Mickey's been, been known to play both sides of the fence, too. Well, when you look, and in, in, in Todd Young is, is an accomplished person. He's, doing, he's a very intelligent, well-educated, great leader. Marlon Stutzman has a lot of the same attributes in a, in a number of ways. They've all had really strong votes on the U.S. Chamber's voting list, for example. But these things sometimes get down to very uh, minor issues. And so you've got a situation where you have a very volatile uh, public uh, right. electorate. You're going to have a situation where it is an establishment-related U.S. Chamber of Commerce endorsement really... Uh, uh, that Help helpful in this not. environment or not? We, or we're gonna, well, what and, and we're, we're, we're going to test it. And yeah. I think so certainly for Young, it's a very beneficial endorsement. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see Stutzman, whether it is or not. The U.S. Chamber says Stutzman came, came asking for this endorsement, but he issued a statement saying that this is D.C. insiders Insider and crony capitalists uh, yes, well, circling right. the wagons for an establishment yeah. candidate. Right. He has to Which say that. It plays right into his message. It plays into his message. The Indiana Chamber followed on, though, and endorsed endorsed uh, uh, Todd Young right after the, the U.S. Chamber. The Indianapolis Chamber did not. Well, that's, they, they've often had you know, differences with A little bit with, more uh, uh, balanced perspective on life this than goes the without State saying, Chamber. Because it happens, you know, a hundred times every cycle. But the best candidate or the strongest candidate, let me say, in the primary is not necessarily, this sounds like a disclaimer, the yeah. strongest candidate in the general election. And we can point to umpteen examples of that. So you be careful what you wish for, I guess, is, uh, is, well, that, is part of the lesson here. I want John Hammond's reaction to what mm -hmm. Ann said earlier about uh, a contested Republican presidential primary in Indiana. Does it help Stutzman more than Young? 
It's hard to say. I think we're going to find a whole different crew of people. Will they go down ballot and then vote for, after they vote for their person? Well, for Democrats and independents to come over, will they then go to Stutzman versus a Young? It's very difficult to say. I don't think you're going to get crossover votes. Every prediction I've made for the last eight months has been wrong. I don't know. So predict. So we'll know who to back. It's a tough year. I think the opposite. I think you've got a situation here where you're going to have a lot of Republicans who don't necessarily vote in primaries come out. I'm not sure how big a crossover vote you're going to have from Democrats, particularly if there's a Democrat right. presidential primary in play. It's an unusual place. And I, first, let's say Hillary is the nominee. Right. I mean, the negatives are going to be pretty high in Indiana for Hillary. It just kind of is. It's where, so it's are the Trumps qu- and Cruz's. Right, so at the end of the day, so I don't know, will Baron Hill be hurt by that? Probably. Will John Gregg be hurt by that? Probably. You know, we've also, on the other side of the aisle, we've got other, uh, you know, negatives that kind of attack. Trump's negatives are off the stratosphere. We've seen a lot of examples in the past where Indiana voters can differentiate, and and they'll go one party in the fall uh, for president and another for other races. We may get the most graphic example of that yet this year. All right. Some homeowners and business owners are worried about INDOT's decision to build Interstate 69 along State Road 37. The final leg of the project will run from Martinsville to I-465, but the route is going to impact nearly 100 businesses and 280 homes. The homeowners say they're concerned for their homes and livelihoods. Here's Cinder Reardon, followed by John Piper. Even though I know that the construction was coming this way, I had no idea it was going to come this close to where I was building. There won't be businesses on it to pay taxes, to create jobs. How do we win? I mean, this is just madness. John Schwannis, did INDOT handle this announcement well? Well, I mean, in, their, in the dep- agency's defense, uh, it's not as if this was all unfolding behind a curtain and then just, you know, plumes of smoke came, I'm mixing my metaphors, came out of the <laughs> chimney. I mean, there were hearings. Uh, this is a multi, going on for years. multi-year years. process uh, with, what, five or six routes that were being uh, assessed, and people had an opportunity to weigh in. So it's, and you, there's no, never going to be the perfect route. I feel certainly for the business owners and the homeowners but wherever the route is, unless it somehow yeah. launches into space and then traverses <laughs> you know, uh, several miles above the, right. the, yeah. the horizon and then comes back down, it's going to be somewhere. And um, this apparently has the, the least environmental impact. So whatever has to have the least economic impact as well. Yeah. Well, you mean, actually, it's probably, you could say arguably, what NDOT would say is it's the, it's yeah. the biggest economic impact in a positive way yeah. uh, because yeah. of the cities involved and, unless, in the Unless, of course, you have a business that's right Granted, in the right of way and talking going to be the big disappearing. Picture, not the, the, the yeah, I, you know, the feelings have run high on this for years. There was legislation that was passed in the General Assembly that said it can't go through that township and then was later repealed. I mean, this has been a long process, a highly charged process, and I don't think it mattered what choice was made. People were going to be upset with it one way or another. And so whether they handled the announcement, uh, I don't know that there was a good way to do it. They were going to have to say that this was the decision and, and people were not going to like it. And understandably so. The best thing well, they can do... one of the things do, that happened this week was the media advisory said that they would talk about a variety of routes. Right. Nobody, it, nobody expected a final decision. And there it was. Yeah. But yeah. what they can do now is execute well uh, and do what they need to do uh, in a fair manner uh, because if they don't, they're going to get called on. It's well, going to be a tough, still tough a, time. 
But is it not cast as a recommendation? I mean, theoretically, there's still some wiggle room, I guess, and more. Op- well, I think there are hearings in the coming weeks. Legislature weekend. can always take action. Well, certainly yeah. they can. But they need to get this project done. It, it, right? it needs to get done. It's been, we've been, you know, laboring long and, you know, haven't given birth yet. So it's, it's time to happen. They need to be fairly compensated for what they're losing, yeah, right. those individual homeowners and businesses. But there's no good way to do this unless you're going through something that has no settlement in it. This is the most direct way and probably the most efficient way to do it. And, and you know, I grew up in Prairie Township. My mother's still there. That's the portion. Close to the highway? Where there's not very close to the highway, yeah. but, but we have a number of uh, friends and, and that own businesses and, and have uh, houses in and around the, 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 the you know, proposed project. Now, if this is the best route after all this study, there's been a lot. And so it's not been, again, it's not been hidden. Everyone's had a chance to look at it. And it's been fought for many years, at least 10, you know, with the legislative inducement that was, were enactment that was put in place to, to prevent it. It is now incumbent upon everyone to figure out a way to make sure that they haven't divided that community. Uh, and so the, these interchanges, the overpasses, underpasses, all that um, activity that has to be pursued and executed properly, like as John said, really needs to be focused on, and they, they need to be ultra-sensitive to that community as they execute. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, did INDOT pick the right route for the final leg of I-69? Your choices are A, yes, B, no, or C, it's a can't-win circumstance. Last week's question, did the governor do the right thing with his veto of the Notre Dame bill? 57% said yes, 43% said no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. On primary election day, voters in Marion County will use new high-tech voting machines for the first time. The election board recently recently purchased 320 new voting machines. Some of them are touchscreen terminals intended for use by people with disabilities, but anyone can use them. County Clerk Myla Eldridge says the bill to taxpayers is $1.4 million. It is a big expenditure, however, but necessary. Again, I mean, democracy is very, very important. And if we don't have the equipment to conduct successful elections, then that's not good. John Hammond, is it necessary? Well, yeah, as I answer that question, let me just fully disclose. um, My law firm was involved in the procurement for these uh, new voting machines, and and they were on that, that the winning side of the procurement. I was not personally involved in it, but... That being said, um, the machines were 15 years out of, uh, out of date. Uh, they, the software interfaces were poor. Um, the potential for glitches and um, uh, breakdowns were growing with each election cycle. So uh, it is a pretty important um, investment to make it. It's in a large one, but it's, it's necessary to make sure that we don't have the delays that, that frankly undermine the confidence in the voting process and the system itself. Uh, when people go for, the, you know, the only time they get a chance to make a mark on what's going on in their mm-hmm. government and they can't do it, that's a problem. So the expectation is fewer breakdowns, fewer delays, quicker results. That's, that, that's, that's the expectation. The ESS system is, is uh, superior, and it should be quicker and more efficient and easier to operate. And John's right. When, when people can't exercise their right to vote, heaven knows the legislature has put enough impediments <laughs> into discouraging people to vote in the first place. We need to make it as easy as we can. I'd like to, Dean, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I, well, I'd like to see him take the next step, and that is to institute vote centers 
and right. to be more comprehensive in this process right. because other counties have done it. We could actually save some money on the process if we did that and hopefully involve more people in it. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to see them look at the, the vote centers. The problem with that, John, is that there are more Democrat than Republican votes in Marion County, and that's why that isn't going to happen. It's a political decision. It's, it's not a decision having anything to do with technology. And you want to have sufficient or, numbers. Or democracy. It does require I mean, everybody's in agreement here. You want to give the electorate opportunities to to exercise their their constitutional right it's hard enough to get people yeah. out to vote let's make it easy and we don't want to be like arizona which it's is now tied lines. up in litigation because be. of an inability apparently by uh, election officials in that state in their recent primary in the legislature to get their act together is, marion county has actually caught up to smaller counties who've already had technology similar to this so yeah, we don't have the vote centers though and we don't have the expanded hours Finally, Purdue University researchers are at the forefront of a big breakthrough this week in the fight against the Zika virus. A team led by Purdue researchers were the first to determine the structure of the Zika virus. Their findings could help in the effort to find a vaccine to fight the mosquito-borne illness. The team also identified how Zika is different from similar viruses like yellow fever and West Nile. Richard Kuhn of Purdue. Once we can see how the virus is put together, we can begin to understand how does your immune system begin to approach that virus? What are the surface features of the virus that the immune system will kind of hook onto? And Delaney, does Purdue seem like an unlikely place to produce that sort you know, of finding? They it took six schools and a $250 million life science environment or investment, it should say, but this is a huge feather in Purdue's cap, particularly if you saw the New York Times this morning talking about nine groups uh, working together trying to do the same thing. It reminded me of that Steinberg caricature of a map of the U.S. where it's the yeah. East Coast, the Indians, and then the West Coast. They might, they might want to look at what's happening yeah, in places in like Beach Purdue. Grove, yeah. yeah, and it shows that the investment paid off, <laughs> right? It, 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 it certainly it does. paid and, off. And, and the collaboration that takes place with the scientific community is so important. Uh, you can look at Purdue, and that's a huge, huge achievement for them and a great thing. We're, but you know what? Um, IU and other places have all contributed in a way. Washington University. Sure, yep. sure. Was, Washington University go. was involved yep. in that's that. Indiana Week in Review yep. for this week. Our panel is Democrat and Delaney, Republican John Hammond, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at WFYI.org slash IWIR starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.